0: Titus 1 verse 12 says all Cretans are liars. Now a paradox would be if a Cretan said that. If a Cretan said all Cretans are liars, would he be lying? Or would he be telling the truth? And there's a paradox. That's the word we're going to be looking at today. A paradox is mainly a statement that seems to go against common sense, but may still be true. There are paradoxes in all facets of life. I mean, look at this beautiful picture. This is in California. This is Death Valley, California. Death Valley State Park. Now, that in itself is a paradox because look at the beauty. Look at the life that is in this picture. Yet it's called Death Valley. If you understand that, then you understand paradoxes. Computers are a paradox. They were meant to save us time, right? They were meant to save us time, but how many of you have ever gone to the computer to to get your work done? You say, okay, I'm I'm only gonna look at my email just for a minute, I'm gonna check it, answer a few things, and then I'm gonna get busy and you look up and an hour's gone by and you've been on Facebook for that hour how many well I'm going to make you raise your hand they were meant to save us time and they do save us time but they can also waste time they are a a paradox paradoxes can be complex if you can understand this there's always an exception to the rule except to the exception of the rule which is in of itself an accepted exception of the rule a paradox and they can also be very simple as an ashtray with a no smoking symbol paradoxes life is full of paradoxes paradoxes can be simple paradoxes can be complex and some of the best paradoxes are found in the Bible they're found in the scriptures we're going to be looking at one of those paradoxes today but that it's better to give than receive or to win one must lose or to live one must die. Those are all biblical paradoxes. They, 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 from on the surface, the world looks at those and says, ah, you, how can you follow that? How can that be true? But they are. They are if you believe the Scriptures. They go against common sense but are nonetheless true. Today, I want to explore the great biblical paradox of there is strength in weakness and gain insight in how to remain strong even in our weakest moments. I appreciate the song service this morning. Eric was singing songs that that dealt with the strong strength of God, the strength of Jesus, His strong arm, His mighty arm. And I want to look at that today. Let's look at four passages of scripture. One that helps to find our paradox of strength and weakness, one that explores the paradox, and two that remind us of what we need to do when we're trying to find strength in our own weaknesses. We start with the passage if you will in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 9 through 10. This This for me sets the context and defines this this biblical paradox of strength and weakness. So if you would please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In this passage Paul tells of going to the third heaven. A privilege not many have had. But Paul could boast in this honor. But says in verse 5, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. And then he says in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that that it might depart from me. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's been much speculation throughout history as to what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Tertullian, an ancient scholar, said that it was a pain in Paul's ear or Paul's head. Many scholars, because of Paul's blinding conversion in Acts chapter 9, believe that it was an eye problem. Yet, we can read about Paul's life and we we read about the beatings that he suffered, the stonings that he suffered, the, the, the near drownings that he had. And all for the cause of Christ. And we really don't understand, we really don't know. Exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but we know that he suffered. We know that he suffered, and that he prayed for this thorn in the flesh to be removed from him. The thorn was given, it says, to buffet him. To buffet means to strike with the fist. To strike with the fist. How many of you are being buffeted right now? Still, Paul wanted to get rid of this pain. And he prayed to God three times, Please take this from me. All the answers being no in two parts. Verse 9, my grace is sufficient. And part 2, the Lord's strength was made perfect in weakness. Somehow we must get to the point that God's grace, His free gift of salvation is enough. We want and 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 we want. Brother Shockley alluded to it in his prayer. We've gone want crazy. When is what God has given us going to be enough? We want things our way, people to bend to our will. Christian, the Lord would give Paul. And the Lord will give you what is needed. Not necessarily what's wanted, but what's needed. That in essence is the definition of of agape love, isn't it? God loves us so much. He'll give us what we need. The Lord's strength is made perfect in weakness. That's the second part of the answer. The The Lord's strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, in times of hardship, In times of struggle, in your weakest moments, the strength of God can be experienced completely. You may feel weak right now. Embrace it. Embrace it. And that that sounds strange. The world can't can't grasp that. Hey, it's a paradox. It seems like it's not true, but it is. Embrace that weakness. God is glorified when you do. In these hard times, you know, folks either run to God or they run away from God. Have you noticed it? Have you noticed your friends? Have you noticed your family? When they, when they go through a hard time, they either run to God or they run away from God. Run to God. Depend on His strength. Not on your own. In verses 9 and 10, we see Paul embrace his weakness. Paul's attitude was, my weakness glorifies God. There are so many who are my heroes in this audience. Who have many physical infirmities. Who worship God, work for the Lord, even infirmed. You do so humbly and without fanfare. You understand the paradox. You understand it. You understand. You are a walking definition like Paul. There's strength and weakness. God uses the foolish weak things to be glorified. Why? Well, let's look at our second passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Uh, This explores this biblical teaching, this paradox. Paul trying to unify the fractured congregation in Corinth. He tells them that sectarianism, division is a sin and that to some verse 18 the message of the cross is foolish But that, verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world or the things which are despised. God has God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things which are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. To accomplish his purpose, God chose the weak, the foolish, the despised things. Things that the world did and does see as foolish. Why? Why would God do this? Why would God use foolish things to accomplish His purpose? We don't do that in our world. We want the strong ball player, not the weak ball player. We want the smart, not the dumb. We want the beautiful, not the ugly. You see, God's way is paradox. It seems to go against common sense. Why? Well, the answer is in the next verse, verse 30. But of him you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. If God let man do the choosing, man would say, We would say, Look what we did. but when we do it God's way God is glorified by God's doing the saved in this audience are in Christ Jesus Christ is our wisdom from God to those who are dying spiritually without Jesus the death of Christ on the cross is foolish it's weak it's despised But by His death, Jesus accomplished by God's wisdom something man could never do. Jesus saved us from the wrath of God. Man could never do that. And it's to God's glory, not our own. The weak are truly strong in our context because the weak things are God's things. You know, we may give the illusion of strength. We may give the illusion of strength, but it's just an illusion. We are weak. And God chose those of us in Christ Jesus to get His message out, to get His gospel out. He chose me. He chose you. It's almost laughable. He chose me. He almost makes me want to laugh. Me? Me? with all my weaknesses and with all my hang ups and with all my quirks He chose me God uses me with all my weirdness and sinfulness and weaknesses I'm amazed that I've been instrumental in helping anyone obey the gospel I'm amazed but it's true that I had to do anything with anyone's conversion is a testimony to God's awesome power because I am nothing. I am weak, foolish, despised by the world. So are you. So are you. And God's glorified because of it. When you go out and you do His will, you weak, despised, foolish one, God is glorified. But we give the illusion of strength. We square off in our clicks. We puff out our chests. Pride takes over and our own business becomes most important. We give the semblance of strength, but we are secretly afraid, aren't we? We're afraid. We're afraid that what we have will be lost. And like the man with one talent, we just hide it and do nothing, don't we? Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. Are we like the church at Sardis? Are we like the church at Sardis? They had, they had the name if they were alive but they were dead you think of the name Fountainhead that doesn't sound like a dead name to me does it you? but are we dead? what can we do? What can we do to humble ourselves and and be right with God? To give the praise and honor and, and glory to God rather than to ourselves or to another? What can we do? Well, renewal is needed. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 51. David wrote Psalm 51 after it was brought to his attention how much of a sinner he really was. David was an adulterer and a murderer and a liar. Look what this sinner writes in verse, verse 10. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David recognized how dirty, spiritually dirty, he was, and that his spirit had, had wandered away. But he wanted God to renew. A steadfast spirit within him. You may have messed up bad. You may have messed up really bad. You may feel dirty. But as we've been singing this morning, God can renew you. God can renew you. Verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. If you continue on your dirty little path, telling your dirty little lies, living in your dirty little secrets, God will cast you out of his presence. Matthew 25 verse 41, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus Christ, Revelation chapter 3 verse 16, will vomit you lukewarm do nothing out of his mouth. And then you'll be out of Christ, not in Christ anymore. You'll no longer be in Christ. You'll be outside looking in. You need restoration. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. David knew that he needed renewal that he desperately needed to be restored to his former relationship with God. Look at verse 13. David believed that if he had these qualities, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. To do God's work, the inward man must be right. The word restore indicates that David once was right with God, but he lost it. The man after God's own heart, he lost it. How about you? There are many in this room like David that need renewal, that need restoration. You know, many believe that the last words of Jesus were go into all the world and preach the gospel. They weren't. They weren't. Jesus had more, much more to tell John in the Revelation and and, and the basic message of Jesus to the churches in Revelation chapter two and revelation chapter three to the churches of Asia is repent or else. Repent or else. We need to repent. We need renewal. We need restoration. And the only way we're going to have that is if we follow God's command and repent. Notice a conversation. If you will please turn to Luke 22. Notice a conversation between Jesus and Peter in Luke 22. Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper and mediated an argument about Greatness. And then is recorded the conversation with Peter where Peter says that he's ready to die for Jesus. And Jesus tells him that the, the roosters are going to crow and you're going to deny me. But this conversation it starts in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you but your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus prayed for for Peter when the devil asked for Peter. The devil asked for him. The devil wants you too. You know, when I baptize folks here in, in the water, the thing that I tell them after I baptize them is this. Right after Jesus was baptized, he was tempted of the devil if it can happen to Jesus Christ it can happen to you the devil wants you to fail he wants you to fail he asked for Peter Jesus prayed for Peter Jesus prayed for us in John chapter 17 he prayed for us that we would be one with the the father that we would be one with Jesus that they would be one in us Jesus is our mediator. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus' prayer was that Peter's faith should not fail. Now we know the Scriptures. We know what Jesus said came true. That Peter denied Christ and the cock crew. He denied Him three times. Did his faith fail? Was Jesus' prayer answered? Yes, Jesus' prayer answered. And no, Peter's faith didn't fail. You know why? Because Peter came back. Peter came back. He left God. He denied Christ, yes. But we know his faith was not utterly depleted because he came back. Jesus wants you to return to Him too. And you may have denied Him. You may have sinned sins that none of us know about. But you're here today. Your faith is not totally depleted, is it? Jesus wants you to return to Him. You're a weak Sinner, you're in need of strength. You're in need of the strength that we've been singing about this morning that only God can provide. Jesus said, When you've returned to me, weak as you are, in need of restoration, as you do, in need of, of, of renewed, of a renewed self, look at verse 32. Strengthen your brethren. Do you see the paradox? Do you see the paradox? How he's using weak, despised, foolish Peter to strengthen his brethren when he comes back, when he returns. You are weak and despised, foolish, and you need renewal, you need restoration, you need to repent. Be watchful, Jesus told the dead church at Sardis. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Repent or else. There is strength and weakness. And you can find it today. And you can glorify God when you do. You who are weak and despised and cast out, cast down, hurting, ashamed, turn those weaknesses into strength. God's strength. Repent. Some of you need to repent and be baptized. Whatever we can help you with, let us help you with it right now. Together we stand and sing.